This spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over 18. Now prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the spoiler room. And here we are on another edition of the Spoiler Room. It is another already 25th anniversary special edition. Uh, On this one, since it is Halloween season, we are just a few days away from Halloween. And the fact uh, that uh, it just so happens that Stephen King (laughs) had two movies based off his books released in the same year, 1990, and at his graveyard shift in Misery. And we're covering both this evening. And those joining me in the spoiler room to help out uh, right down the line is, first off, the diva of the spoiler room herself. Some uh, people call her the dragon lady. I call her Dawn. Hello, Dawn. (laughs) Hello, Mark. How are you this evening? I'm doing just fine. I'm not feeling oogie or anything. So, Excellent. Uh, I, th- I thought so. So I think it's we're doing well tonight. And then right next to Dawn is Mr. BFD himself. Yes, the one, the only, Mr. Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. How are you? I thought you were good, Mark, but you're not good. You're just another lying old dirty birdie. (laughs) (laughs) I am a dirty birdie. All my feathers need to be cleaned. Uh, Glad to have you in the room tonight. And uh, last but definitely not least, spoiler room regular as well, Mr. Paul Salzars in the his house. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. How's everybody doing? I think I think we're all doing well and excited, kind of interested to talk about these two films because they're kind of on the polar opposites of of how they were received, I think, in the year of 1990. And so, how they were written, too. As well. And how they were written, too. <laughs> and I think we're going to start off with the, the, the more peculiar one, uh, and, and that is Graveyard Shift. <laughs> now... Graveyard Shift tells the story of a very old textile mill with a serious rat infestation. And the workers find that there's more than rats living in the old textile mill. And it is a deep, dark, deadly secret that could be the end of them all. I kind of made that up myself because the IMDb description is a little boring. So, Graveyard Shift, this one. (laughs) Wow, you know... I'm impressed this one made it to the theaters. Uh, Glenn, what about you? Your initial impressions, as always, as we do with uh, these films. Graveyard Shift, sir. Graveyard Shift. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, really a giant fucking bat. (laughs) Yeah. I just couldn't. No, it's uh, <laughs> the, the, the the creature did didn't do it for me. I mean, I mean, there's some things I like. I like the fact that the textile mill is called Bachman Mills. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and there's little things I worked. I didn't. I didn't mind the cast. Um, but man, I just I just couldn't get behind the giant rat uh, bat. <laughs> I preferred. I would preferred. You know, it go more the way of. I don't know something something less normal. Well, either less you know, normal. as normal as you know, eight foot tall bats are. <laughs> less normal, or would you have preferred it just to be the rats? Like something's up with the rats. Maybe, maybe... just the rats too. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. It just it I don't know. It seemed gimmicky. <laughs> it it did seem a little gimmicky. Uh, you know, it 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 felt like they were just I think trying to cash in a little bit on the Stephen King hype. Uh, with this film, uh, Paul, I, mean, I, I don't, oh, I don't hate it. I, yeah. I think it's still enjoyable for what it is. Sure. And uh, Paul, what about you? Uh, your initial impressions with the graveyard shift—an unusual film, would you not say? Definitely, uh, and I agree very wholeheartedly with Mr. Glenn. There, uh, it does have some really nice scenes. It had some good characters in it, um, but it essentially is. What probably brings out one of the problems of a Stephen King short story is they tried to stretch it out uh, and they tried to give it more substance than what the what the actual short story would have uh, been. And if they would have just kept it core and maybe even it maybe did a, like a, a two parter, like a, another episode of something out, you know, another short story. I think I would have liked it immensely more. It just seemed like oh, you could have ended it right there, but they kept going with it. So that's. <laughs> Again, you know, just like, oh my God, they got another scene. Uh. So, so you would have kind of preferred it to be sort of along the lines of uh, Cat's Eye, Cat's or, Eye, or, or like Creep Show, or something like that. Where it's part of an anthology versus versus a, a standalone film. Exactly. And Don, what about you? Okay, this is the part where I eat my words about comparing source material to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Go right ahead. Everyone's everyone's well, you know, everyone's welcome to a caveat. So go ahead. So to be fair, it's been a few decades since I read the book, uh, the short story. Um, I do, so I don't recall the short story very well, um, but I. What I do recall is, is at least in the short story, it wasn't just a giant bat at the end. It was actually something, something else. I don't think they built it up enough because mm-hmm. they had they had the rats, and then they had more rats, and then they had this, you know, mysterious creature kind of around, but they they didn't really build it up because it was. It, Hmm. They definitely needed more tension and more build up to the final creature. Uh, and and then there was the whole part where I I liked the performance that oh was it David Andrews? Yes, David Andrews. Yeah, I, I liked the performance that David Andrews gave, but too much too much of me was waiting for flashbacks to his sex robot. <laughs> <laughs> or would that be flash forwards? Or flash, well, whichever. Whichever. I'm, I, I, I really, I, he was so firmly, that actor was so firmly in my head for his role in, in Cherry 2000, I really had problems dissociating that. Sure. And, and again, that was my problem, not the problem with the film. Mm-hmm. But um, I thought um, Graveyard Shift had uh, had a beautiful sets. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was beautiful and artistic. Uh, dark. It, it, they did an excellent job with the sets and the scene and the scenery. Sure. Um, I love the piles of bones. Sure. I I liked the the dark, dingy uh, basement and sub basement and sub sub basement, falling into the the pool of 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 water that was 
so red with blood. It, it was very, it was very pretty. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have a very strange bar for pretty. No, no, I know exactly what you mean. It was visually entertaining, at least. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a lot of stuff for your eyes to catch and in, enjoy. The, I, I agree. The sets. That set of that old mill, I mean, that thing was creepy in, in itself. I mean, it really was. Um, no, I, I get what you're saying, at, but uh, did you at least find some enjoyment in the film? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, again, there were just little things that kept taking me out. Sure. And and I was like that, too. I mean, it's funny. I, I don't know if you'll all agree, but I think the film starts out strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole scene with the rats and, and the uh, whatever the cotton machine is, and the guy gets, you know, munched into that. I mean, that opening scene, I'm like, that, that pulls you in. You're like, oh, all right. And then they even have a little bit of the Stephen King dark humor in here. Like, after the guy gets munched, they, they go outside and they put, hang the sign that says, uh, you help wanted. And they do that a couple of times throughout this film. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, for me, I enjoyed it. It almost felt like they didn't know what to do with it. And I think it goes along with lines of what Glenn was saying, is that here's a short, you know, or, or Paul, uh, here's a short story, and they're stretching it out to a feature film. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do we fill this space? <laughs> you know, uh, which is usually not a problem with most of Stephen King's works that make it to movies. Usually, the movies are too short. <laughs> but in this case, from Graveyard Shift, it, it was too long. Now, a uh, number of people have mentioned the characters. Uh, David Andrews, yes, is in here uh, and plays excellent as our kind of anti-hero drifter guy with the, you know, with the cliche background of a tragedy that he's trying to run away from. And he, he uh, meets up with actually a fairly headstrong female named Jane Wisconski. Yeah. <laughs> or Wiscon- yeah, Wisconski. Wisconski, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that. I love that name. I'm not sure where it came from. Uh, I don't care. I, I love Wisconsin, and that just that made me chuckle a little. Uh, one of the, the people that makes a feature in here, and I want to get everyone's opinion on this, is Mr. Brad Dourif's role. Oh, I loved it. Don, yes, Don. Go, go ahead. I, was he stunt-casted, though, do you think? Stunt-casted? Stunt-casted, as in they pulled him in because they needed a name? Probably. <laughs> Probably, but he did such a great job of it. I mean, he always does. He's such a wonderful character actor. Mm-hmm. He's so recognizable, and he just throws himself into everything with so much passion. It's just awesome. And playing the exterminator here in the film, folks, Brad Dourif's in here, and yes, he does. He's one of the higher, the, the the highlights or the the brighter moments in this film is whenever he's on screen. Uh, Glenn, what did you think of uh, his role here in the film? Um, it was fine. I don't think it was really, as you say, stunt casting. I think mm-hmm. it's just he doesn't always take good movies, <laughs> <laughs> but he makes the most of it. And you can yeah. tell, you know, he was making the most of this. But here we have in this character a trend that we've mentioned actually a few times in our 
previous 25th anniversary films, which uh, you should go back and listen to those episodes, because there seemed to be a bit of a running theme in the 90s where they were addressing more and more the Vietnam vet. I mean, they were in the 80s, but the 90s, uh, a lot, it always seemed to be a theme that came up, even in, here in Brad Dourif's Exterminator character, right, Paul? Yes, definitely, and I think that did add to his character, and it gave kind of a sense of um, kind of a an eeriness because uh, well, I my dad was in Vietnam, and I, and I kind of remember a lot of the things he never really talked about it, and it, I basically understood what a Vietnam vet was not from him, but from the movies that I watched and uh, basically how they reacted to it, and his story about the basically the the rat torture. Was mm-hmm. just it was eerie and it was it was fantastic. Uh, I really enjoyed that scene, especially. Well, that was like his scene. It was like they set it up. That that's his. They're like, okay, we're gonna give you a scene where you can just chew up as much as you want, and he makes the most of that scene. I, yeah, that's my favorite scene too, where and because they set up that one scene, you would think there would be more with the rats in this movie. But they had to go in that weird direction of hey let's do the let's do the big big bat thing and let's ignore the the queen size uh, rat and the albino exactly. rats and stuff. yes <laughs> <laughs> were those in the short story or the I, short story, I don't yeah. no, I don't read so <laughs> no words are too mark we know they do hurt me but uh, <laughs> so you're saying there's other elements that were in the book that that would have possibly helped rather than making them just the big bat. Well, the the thing about Stephen King is that a lot of times, and they did have it in this movie, fortunately. I mean, I would have totally hated this movie if they didn't. Was sometimes the monsters are more the people, and mm-hmm. I think the people hurt more of the you know the the crew than than the monsters did themselves or the rats. So it just it, to me, I would have been more scared by the reality of the situation versus the the weird mutant uh, bat. <laughs> I guess you call it a bat with a tail. With a bat bat with a tail. The rat bat, if you will. No, 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 (laughs) no. Rat bat. But uh, you're right. Uh, This this is a film that uh, I found the characters, the human characters, more interesting than the bat at all. (laughs) You didn't even really need, you know, it would have been an interesting spin to take to where they didn't even need a bat. You know, or you know, just have the rats and the people and a bit of their imagination go, and you know, I, I think that would have been even more interesting. Though I will admit, the practical effects—you've got to admit—for the type of film this was, I liked the look and the design of the bat. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think of it, Paul? Did you enjoy the the look of the bat? The claw thing was kind of neat looking, and and uh, kind of reminiscent of Beastmaster when it would attack the people. It would take its little like like you know skin wings and cover you, and it looked like it would digest you and stuff like that. That was kind of cool. <laughs> Glenn, what did you think of the practical effects for this film? I'm still trying to wrap my head around. The reference to Beastmaster. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are no more Emerites. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, the effects I think were, were fine. Um, and yet, as Don said earlier, the, the set was gorgeous, well, really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, for when this was made, and probably, probably the budget it was made on. I don't know what the budget was. I'm sure it wasn't. Well, it was ten million dollars. Wow. 
<laughs> and it, it did make that money back clawing and, and climbing. <laughs> yeah. <Intended. laughs> yeah. For the effects, uh, the budget that they had and the what little care it seemed the studio had for this film, in all honesty, uh, I think the, uh, the special effects and the creature design were, were well done for what they had. You know, they, they played the angles, uh, you know, the camera angles. They did the old school thing of not showing it completely. Uh, that way, you know, you can hide some things. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I thought the practical effects looked decent in here. Well, what about you, Don? Did you think they looked pretty uh, uh, cool, at least the bat? I think it looked much better than it would have been if it was CGI. <laughs> well, well said. Yes, totally agree. Nowadays, the, especially with the budget it had, they would have done CGI and it would have looked not nearly as well. Uh, so yeah, there's always something about practical effects, and they help stand the test of time. I I did like the animatronics and everything um, with it. So but the rats' uh, eyes, the just the regular rats just staring was even scarier than that. They but, were actually yeah. yeah. Yeah, they actually. I liked how the director Ralph S. Singleton uh, worked. How they had it work the camera to where uh, they gave a little bit of personality to the rats. <laughs> I mean, the rats just sitting there, but just the way the music and everything. I mean, don't get me wrong, folks. This isn't a, a phenomenal film by any means, but there's a lot of actually great moments in here, and those rats definitely were were eerie. Uh, you know, creepy. Reminded me of. Um, Willard. You know? oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you catch that? At one point, I forget who, one of the actors was reading a book called Ben. Ben, it was yes. absolutely a reference to that. Yes, yes, he was. And, and I caught that. I thought that was great. Uh, now, we mentioned the characters earlier. Uh, of course, we got our hero, and I men- mentioned Wisconsin here. Uh, but Stefan mocked. I think his name is Ermak, who plays Warwick, the the kind of evil, sleazy, well, not kind of, the evil, sleazy foreman of the, who looked <laughs> like Fred Ward's brother. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank he you. Looked, at first I was like, Fred Ward's in this? I'm like, <laughs> no, he was just in Tremors this year. He did, and like, oh, no, that's not. And uh, what do you think of the Warwick villain, Glenn? Uh, you know, I, I kind of liked him, actually, <laughs> in all his sleaziness. Break time's over. Back to work. <laughs> <laughs> what was with the accent? That wasn't even a New England accent. I don't know what the heck. <laughs> it, it was a British accent trying – it was a British actor trying to have a New England accent. <laughs> Which, in case he made the Warwick accent. Uh <laughs> Uh, what did you think of him, Don, at all? Did you did you like him, at least how, how villainy and how evil he was? I, it it seemed a little strange, but I like you know, him. I, I, I love the guy that you love to hate. Yeah. <laughs> you always need a guy that you love to hate. I, you know, the stupid guy who needs his ass kicked and needs to have his head eaten off. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, he has a great scene in there, actually, with the, the woman, the, his secretary, uh, who he's, uh, Warwick, go figure, has been uh, sleeping with and such. And he gives her an assignment that she wasn't expecting. 
Man, I loved the, actually I really enjoyed that scene where she's just bashing the hell out of that car. Oh, what what'd you think about that whole little scene there? That's actually like a bit of seriousness in this film that really didn't seem all that serious. I I like you, I enjoyed that scene. It really showed the the frustration that that one character had and you know and she's like this'll teach you, you know. Um kind of like that and it just I don't know it was it was better than her death scene that was for sure <laughs> um, but yeah um, I think too it, it showed it showed another element that that she another character assumed that uh, the boss was a materialistic kind of snob mm-hmm. and, and so that's what she thought instead of hurting him directly instead of like you know chopping off his wee wee he went for she went for his car, which she yeah. thought was more important to him. <laughs> yeah, she uh, that poor car. It was a beautiful car, it but was. I loved how she trashed it. What about you, Glenn? Did you kind of enjoy that scene, even though the the classic car was getting smashed? <laughs> um, I I remember noticing that they kept uh, they must have had two cars or mm-hmm. two shots of the windshield because different <laughs> different shots of the windshield changes. On how damaged it is. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, this is a film that I think was not paying too much attention to uh, to continuity. <laughs> Don, what about what about you with that scene? Um, like Paul, I think it was it was a good reflection on how people misjudged um, the Warwick character. Mm-hmm. Um, they thought he was one thing when he was actually something far worse. <laughs> and and it was though again uh, would you say that it is a little more of a, of a serious scene outside of oh, absolutely the, the rest of the tone of the film i mean it actually gets a little bit of meat in there uh with the characters and, do you think yeah. we could have a character like him in, as, as as misogynistic as he is now in modern movies oh uh not without protest <laughs> <laughs> well well no something he he does get it in the end he doesn't survive so maybe I don't know, Don. You're no, I think we. I think that in some films there. I, I think that we do have characters though with with strongly misogynistic overtones and undertones, um, <laughs> but I think that always they are the villain cast as the villainous characters. I don't think there's backlash unless you know somebody's foolish enough to make a misogynist a hero. Yeah. <laughs> Not mentioning any names. You mean he wasn't the hero in this film? Yeah, you know, it was hard to tell. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn, how how about you uh uh with this, would you would you say you would still be able to come up with a, a character like Warwick in today's film? Yeah, sure. I don't I don't see why you couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um I mean it's because he is a villain type character, I think it's okay. Sure. You can have that. I mean, and the the misogyny. I mean, kind of well, look at James Bond. Yeah. Uh, he's a hero, uh-huh. and he's nothing but uh, yeah. a misogynist douche. So, <laughs> the though I did like uh, the female character in here. Never felt like she was written. I didn't feel like she was a weak character at all in here, actually. I, I like the one played by Kelly Wolf, uh, Jane with the great last name. Uh, <laughs> how did you feel about her character, Glenn, uh, as far as how they wrote her? She wasn't exactly the damsel in distress. 
No, she wasn't, which is actually unusual for a movie from, from that genre. Um, right. She wasn't, you know, wearing high heels working at the mill and constantly falling down and having to be uh, basically falling down so that, you know, some guy has come back and save her and, of course, ends up getting killed. So that's refreshing when they when they do that in a film where a woman is not uh, simply something to slow you down. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. And Paul, what about you? Did you think they kept her character strong throughout the film, unlike uh, some other films where the character might seem strong until the plot calls for it not to be? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think she could have been stronger, but mm-hmm. honestly, I couldn't get past her eyes. <laughs> I just kept, I just kept like looking at her eyes, and I was you, like, "Oh my god!" You were, you were captivated by her eyes, so you didn't know what she was doing, huh? Yeah, well, yeah, just <laughs> totally. Her scenes, her scenes, just I, I looked at her and looked at her face, and I was like, "Wow!" And it was they, like, "Oh, her mouth is moving." <laughs> they are a predominant feature on her face, I will say, uh, but I, I think she was a, a fairly, uh, she stayed fairly strong throughout the movie. Uh, and, and never felt like that damsel like you would get in films like this, especially during that time period yet, right? And, and yeah, she never she never changed her her, her attitude toward uh, the position. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the 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 whole promotion and the whole that. No, she's she's gonna she's gonna make it on her own, and she's just gonna work through it. And even though she was fired originally, you know, the the union brought her back, and she was just going to make, you know, she's going to make mm-hmm. use of this like second second chance type of thing. So, yeah, she's yeah. definitely, that that part of her is strong. Uh, would you say, Don, they kept her strong? They, they really did, and they really punctuated it uh, at the end with the death scene, anticlimactic and lame though it was, but they really <laughs> punctuated it um, uh, with the death scene uh, with having Warwick uh, address her mm-hmm. first as the bigger threat and leave um, our hero John. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. What's his nuts? For you know, a second. Although they obviously had to leave him for a second because he's the <clears throat> hero. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was one heck of a fight scene. Let's talk about that final fight scene real quick. Uh, it surprised me how. Uh, that was rather. That looked. I mean, I don't know what stunt guys. I mean, I know they mixed in the actors with the stunt guys, but fighting on the bones that looked like it hurt, didn't it, Paul? <laughs> yes, yes. Even though some of the bones did kind of look like they were brittle beyond like. <laughs> well, yeah. Time, but well, yeah, still. Uh, but yeah, the, the, them falling and 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 doing the thing. You know, I, I would have definitely would have picked up a bone and went. You know, uh, two thousand one on the guy. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> Don. What about you? That final uh, fight scene was actually pretty impressive. I thought. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I, I agree. It, again, it looked. It looked. I don't want bones poking into me. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the fact he did go after her first was actually impressive. Perceiving her as the bigger threat, which she kind of was, actually. In all honesty. Oh yeah. <laughs> she actually hit him. <laughs> she she hit him. Yeah. She actually got a she got a hit it on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I like that he didn't pull punches. Like he slogged into her like he would have anybody any <clears throat> any man. Uh, he he just pounded on her. Yeah, he he did, and uh, 
it was it was a bit brutal, wouldn't you say, Glenn? That that final fight scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you have? Did uh, was there anything about it that you uh, liked or didn't like, or uh, did you think they could have ended it a little bit differently? I I agree with Paul. I haven't picked up a freaking bow, <laughs> but this is this is a horror movie. No one ever picks up a weapon ever. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, with the exception of Evil Dead. Yeah. <laughs> Evil, Evil oh, Dead. you know, we're being attacked. And we're in the middle of the axe store. Let's try to punch the guy. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, there were there were a number of moments like that uh, in here, though, including. I think the most peculiar moment was the death of Brad Dourif's character, the exterminator. It's like the one scene where I was like, what was he <laughs> having him do in the graveyard? That, that scene <laughs> seemed like totally pointless, didn't it, Don? Yes. <laughs> I mean, did, am I missing nope. something? Because like, well, you read the story. That's why I was asking you because... Uh, uh, spent decades since I read the story. Jeez. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm. I'm. Um, I don't. I. I don't specifically recall that being a purpose. Uh-huh. Ever, you know, Brad Dorif. Yeah. I think I, it's a. They were getting ready to wrap up, and they're like, "Oh shit, Brad Dorif's the character still alive. We should do something <laughs> to kill him. Let's kill him. <laughs> Let, let's have him go into a graveyard for some unknown purpose and get smashed in the head by a by a sinking casket. That that yeah. scene, I, am I missing something, Paul? What was the whole purpose of that? Did, did, did that Honestly, seem- I think the special effects department like basically went up to them and said, hey, we've got this cool effect where we can smash this guy's head in with a, with a coffin. Let's do it. <laughs> and they excited them, and that's what they did. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It seemed like a very random scene in there, So, uh, which a number of things in this film are random. Again, uh, there's a reason why it barely made its budget back. Uh, from my understanding, they actually had Tom Savini attached to it at one point mm. in the late 80s, but uh, the studio didn't really have interest, so he dropped out of the project. And uh, that's kind of the feeling this had. It, like, I wonder, I'm wondering if they didn't come out with this because they had tremors. What do you oh. think? What do you think, Glenn? That they, someone was trying to cash in on the possible uh, monster hype of Tremors because it felt a little bit like that. No, I don't think so. I mean, no. I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't think Tremors was like. I mean, it was good, but it wasn't like the type of thing where they're like, "Oh, we wanna, we wanna copy that." Sure. Sure. And I mean, did Tremors come out first? Uh, well, this I mean, was this one was. Oh really, yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it, it did come out a little bit before. Yeah. Yeah. So, because this was released in October, actually, yeah. it was uh, released. Tremors was in January. Yeah. So this this came but out. I mean, later. I mean, Tremors made sixteen million at the box office. That's not a. Now we got to copy that. Then maybe was it more of the hype of Stephen King at the time? Well, yeah, Stephen King is the, I mean, that's the only reason any of his books got made in the movies was because, <laughs> because, because his books, I mean, people still read that. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people still do now, but not, you know, now it's, 
he was he was the name in you know in horror for for books. I mean, you had a few other authors, you know, you had like Dean Koontz, but no one, no one that was on the level that Stephen King was as far as from a, just, I mean, everyone knew who Stephen King was, you right. know, even if you didn't read horror. Yeah, especially in 1990. I mean, a, he was. I was reading, and I don't normally read, as I've mentioned many times. But when I was a kid, I read a number of his books um, because he was so popular, and and it was like, oh well, I should check this out, and I enjoyed a number of them. But so graveyard shift, I think we'll put the graveyard shift to bed here. Uh, yeah, it's one of those odd films that ends oddly. Wouldn't you say that song? What was up with that song, Don? The weird mashup with dialogue. I I, I got nothing on that. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't it wasn't even really that catchy, was it, Paul? I loved it. I was sitting there dancing to it. <laughs> Glenn, did you dance to the end song of Graveyard Shift? I hate music. Music should be destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we're going to go from probably what is considered by many a really bad Stephen King movie, a film based off a Stephen King book, it should say, to a really good one, and that is in the form of Misery, which also came out this year, that year, came out a month actually after Graveyard Shift, so they knew what they were doing, releasing it during Oscar season, the story about a well-known author who has a car crash in a blizzard and he's picked up by a nurse who just happened to be coming by and who just happens to be his number one fan. And soon he realizes that uh, he might have been better off in the crashed car (laughs) as uh, his number one fan Uh, doesn't like his latest book and wants him to change things. And uh, he has painful consequences if he doesn't. Uh, Misery, Paul. Misery, tell me uh, how you felt about this. I thought it was very clever to have a nurse be the bad guy (laughs) because (laughs) she understood anatomy, understood how much a body can take before it, you know, before it just kind of, I can't take it anymore. Uh, But uh, (laughs) I thought James Caan was just wonderful in this. And, of course, Kathy Bates, she does a, a... you know, superb job of the of the wicked Annie type type of thing, and it's just oh, it's amazing. It's an amazing story, and it was amazingly well done. So yeah, yeah. Well, it's done by Rob Reiner, who is known not for his horror. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, he you know this is the guy you know brought us a few good men. He's he brought us some great romantic comedies, and here in the middle of all of his stuff that he's done, you have. Misery, which was it's a it's a people thing. It's a, you know the again the monsters are the people, and, right. and and so they're scarier. And and so yes, he he was ideal for this kind of a, of a you know directing thing. So he was also that was part of the that was a caveat to Stephen King selling the rights was Rob Reiner had to either produce or direct the movie. Mm. Oh really? Yes, oh. Rob Reiner did it because Stephen King said that's the only way he would let them do it. Wow, and he made a good call, I think. How about you, Glenn? How'd you feel about Misery? I love Misery. I think it's a fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is probably uh, both Bates and Cons. I think it's some of their best performances. Um, I also do like that there's a actress who was uh, 
somewhat known who has a smaller role in it, uh, Lauren Bacall. Yes. yes. So I like that. I'll watch anything with her in it because I'm a nerdy fanboy for my noir women. <laughs> well, even you have uh, Francis uh, Sternhagen, who's been in a lot of films yes. over the years, and she's she's even in here as well, along with Richard Farnsworth. So, uh, Don, how about you? Your feelings, your initial feelings with this film? I think I know what you're going to say. So, oh, this is one of the best horror films ever made. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. It is also one of Stephen King's best books as far as I'm concerned. It is uh, the screenplay written by William Goldman. And, I mean, the combination of William Goldman and Rob Reiner is is just phenomenal. You couldn't ask for a better combination here. Um, Kathy Bates, oh, my God. <laughs> She's brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. I... I I can't say enough good about this movie. I, I revisited revisited it for the first time in a, in a couple of years, and I do tend to come back to this frequently. And every time I come back to this movie, I am hugely impressed and completely awestruck and, and completely engaged. It enthralls me every single time I watch it. And, and I agree here, too. Uh, it, it's a phenomenal horror film. A relatively small cast, uh, it, it, you know, for for a bigger film that it was, it's actually impressive the smaller cast that they had, uh, and I think it is James definitely one of Kathy Bates's best performances, but even more so than that, James Caan, who, I mean, he he was a well known actor in that, but this is really a standout performance for him, uh, uh-huh. I think. And- yeah, absolutely. And when we we talk about like, I I just thought of this now. I'm sorry, which is why I'm no. Go ahead. Interrupting you. Oh, by um, by all means. When I when I think about movies that are strongly actor driven and dialogue driven, you think of things like Reservoir Dogs, hmm. um, where the movie would not have been a success if it wasn't if the dialogue wasn't so great, if the actors weren't well directed. And if the actors weren't strong enough to carry the roles, this is the same situation. If Kathy Bates and 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 uh, James Kahn weren't strong enough to carry the roles, if the dialogue, if the screenplay wasn't so well written, this would not have been the amazing movie that it is. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, the cast was really important, and if I remember correctly, it was Kathy Bates's performance, wasn't it, Glenn? That was a bit of surprise to everyone. Uh, um, well, surprising that I don't know. I mean, how many people knew who Kathy Bates was? Sure. You know, before this movie, I mean, was she? What did she even do before this movie? She had. I mean, lots of people know who she is now. But right. back then, I mean, you know, I mean, she didn't have a big, for the most part, a big role. I mean, she'd been in a couple of TV shows with small bit parts, a couple of movies, but not a lot. I mean, I know she was on the Love Boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she didn't really have a whole heck of a lot of roles, much less a role like this. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, of, of course, it's as a villainous character, but also you didn't see... Uh, women that look like Kathy Bates get cast in things generally, generally as a as a leading role. 
Yeah, I mean, she, she's not. She's not the. I mean, for so for someone who did not have an established, you know, a really established, you know, acting background as far as like a, a draw. Yeah, she and, didn't fit. I mean, you know, because I mean, they'll put any anyone with you know, uh, big boobs and a tight ass. They know, sure, guys <laughs> will go see that. Um, and it doesn't matter if they have any talent or not. So. This was, you know, it's it's out of the norm of, of Hollywood, especially in 1990. It, it was a bold casting. Actually, I remember when she was cast, there was not controversy, but there was that surprise. People were like, Kathy Bates, and, and they were like, you know, she kind of, I remember a couple people, you know, mentioning, you know, she breaks the mold of, of what you would normally expect from Hollywood. Not that we would, expect, you know, want that, but what it, Hollywood, as you said, would cast possibly a little bit more towards the looks than to the actual talent, but man, she sells this film so well. So, I mean, I, I, I watched it again just last night. It's been a while since I watched it. And, you know, I forgot, one, how, how young she actually was in the movie, but two, just how, how solid and creepy her performance was. W- would you say, Paul, that this was on par with uh, uh, Perkins from Psycho? Yeah, I would definitely say that. Uh, just uh, her face alone, just the face expressions mm-hmm. and stuff like that, or even lack of expression in certain scenes, it was just phenomenal. You could you could definitely see her entire body was into the role, which I really enjoyed. So, well, yeah, she, definitely a great performance. She was a character. She wasn't Kathy Bates playing, playing so much. Yeah. I mean, you believe you buy in that she is. The uh, you know Annie, you, you believe that she is this person, and I think that's what adds that level of creepiness to it. And uh, Don, would you say though that Misery is a bit once again of Stephen King putting a little bit of his own autobiographicalness into his stories along the lines of a guy who is trapped writing the same type of books? Well, not even just that. Um... I had read somewhere, and I'm sorry, I can't remember where, um, but I had read somewhere that the that he had written this book, and it was kind of inspired by his battle with addiction, mm-hmm. and how, yeah... So it wasn't just a, a, a writer being trapped in writing the same kind of book and the same formula in order to make a paycheck, in order to fulfill his obligations to his publishers, but also because he was trapped in the cycle of addiction and and his own breaking out and away from that addiction. Sweet Jesus, we just got deep because... I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can see that in this film. Annie, Annie is, is his addiction. Keep pulling him back, and every time he tries to make progress, uh, he, he has a number, no, uh, another stumbling block, uh, if you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, I couldn't resist. Another uh, uh, character in here, uh, besides Annie, who was just performed beautifully in here by... Kathy Bates, but one that I wanted to touch on because it, it crops up in a couple of other King's works too, how he handles police, namely sheriffs. And uh, Glenn, what did you think of the sheriff character in here? I, I personally loved him. <laughs> oh boy, I got, 
trying to remember the sheriff in this one. I, I didn't was, rewatch this one beforehand. He was Richard um, Farnsworth. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, man. He... Stephen King, uh, I think that that's a big part of just his mainness, right. I guess, for lack of a <laughs> better where he's got these... Uh, he tends to go for that type of, of person for his uh, for his law enforcement types. He doesn't go for the who you would normally you know, if you live in a city who you would think would be a cop. Right. He goes for someone who doesn't quite, I guess, fits more that old time look of a you know the local town sheriff. Yeah. And Farnsworth is just I mean he's a he's a a great or was I should say I guess yeah was a great actor he's been dead for like 15 years I think yeah he, he passed away in 2000 but I, I loved his his character in this uh, definitely a different character than what you're kind of used to seeing of your law enforcement wouldn't you say Paul uh, as far as how the sheriff's portrayed and, and how Farnsworth played him yeah because uh, he, w- he was able to figure out you know it, it isn't a bumbling guy I mean he, he put the pieces together figured it out got there and unfortunately he had a, a, a bit of an untimely uh, situation that occurred to him, and uh, I felt sad to lose him because uh, he was uh, he was a good character. Well, that that's King there. That's classic yeah. King. He it he is. is. I think George Martin borrowed from King of I'm going to make you really like a character, and then I'm going <laughs> to kill him brutally in front of you, you know. in a mean and nasty way for you to to just you know hate the fact that the bad guy just killed him. Uh, Don, how how'd you think of the sheriff in here? I liked him. I loved the interaction between him and his wife. I loved that they were an old married couple. They act like an old married couple. There was complete and utter trust between them, and he was such a good, inherently good person um, and clever. He didn't... Even, even the people that... He was he was a reassuring presence to uh, Lauren Bacall's character, the publisher. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I can't remember her her uh, Miss Sendell. Yeah. Um. I I loved that he the character was really good, and and you're right. Stephen King has a way of making you either love or appreciate characters and then pulling the rug out from under them. (laughs) I think he takes a little enjoyment in it. Uh, But yeah, and you guys, all three, you touched on it. It's the fact that this, it's a small town sheriff, but he is not portrayed as a small town sheriff, as the naive sheriff. This guy's smart. Mm -hmm. He figures things out. He, he follows up things. I mean, he's, Let's face it, folks, law enforcement on the whole across most of your films is not portrayed very well, uh, usually, if the, especially the small-town cop, you know, and even they play up, well, I'm just a small-town cop, you know, but here, as Don mentioned, you have a sheriff who's who's not being condescending at all or just placating someone. He's legitimately trying to calm down the editor and say, don't worry, we're going to find him. You know, don't worry, we're going to find him. It, it, you know, it, we'll get there. And at the same time, it, he's following up stuff. He's putting things together, which you don't get a lot of, especially in films of your small-town sheriff, 
who hasn't come from the big city to the small town. <laughs> you know, he, he felt like, didn't he feel like a sheriff that was there in the smaller town most of his life and not one of these, oh, I came from New York City and now I'm here, so I'm going to use my New York City learning to figure out the crime. <laughs> no, his, his daddy was sheriff before him and his granddaddy was sheriff before him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this is a, he's, a, he's a small town boy through and through. And he knew everybody. <laughs> yeah. He, he knew everybody Which, in that town. And in a town that size, I would think that the local sheriff would know everybody. Mm-hmm. Or at least most of the people. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I loved all the characters in this. Kathy Bates, we can see why she won the Oscar <laughs> that year for this film. In fact, that's the only Oscar that Misery won, surprisingly, and maybe it's because it was the horror genre. Uh, but she was actually the first female to win for a a horror film. Yeah, yeah, she was. Which again, another surprise and a shame, but surprise uh, that uh, you know she did that in a good way because she totally deserved it that year for uh, that awards for that year. I mean, as far as for best. Uh, picture, I it didn't. I don't think it got nominated for just about anything else, did it? Because well, it was going up against Dances with Wolves, Awakenings, Ghost, Godfather Part Three, and Goodfellas. Wow! <laughs> it, it had a little competition that year, I think. Not from Godfather Part Three. Well, no, not from Godfather Part Three. I think that was <laughs> kind of a kind of a oh, we're going to nominate it because it's there. Uh, but yeah. the good, you know, the Goodfellas and everybody loved Dances with. Wolves for some reason, um, and you know there was Ghost as well. But it was a shame that it wasn't nominated because I think the script is very solid. As you you've all mentioned, I mean, I think it would have deserved more than Godfather Three. I'll put it that way. Am I wrong that it should have probably been nominated at least and and not Godfather Three? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, because it is such a great... Though, us horror fans, we do get the surprise because the next year, the horror genre does win in the form of Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> uh, so we, we had to wait another year for it. But it, I, is it me or sometimes does it feel like this film is a little bit overlooked by some people of just how good it actually is, not just by Kathy Bates' performance, but how well the film is put together in general? Uh, am I off on that? Uh, would you say, Glenn? Or um, I don't. I mean, I don't know if it's over. It's hard to say. I mean, I think when it came out, it received a fair amount of very positive uh, feedback, and I think there's people who remember it and they remember it fondly. Um, I don't think it's a movie that is brought up much nowadays as good horror because partly because with, with what most horror is these days, this doesn't fit that mold. Right. There, there's no, you know, no slasher. There's no, there's no ghost. There's no, you know, there's nothing paranormal about it. This is just, uh, it's personal horror, which I think is actually some of my favorite, where, you know, it's the, there's nothing scarier than freaking people. Well, especially her, when Kathy Bates delivers, one of my favorite uh, moments of dialogue from her is when she's telling the story of the film serial. I I think that's just a fantastic scene, and the look James Caan gives her character is classic. 
uh, I, I want to touch on that scene because that scene is kind of like the real turning point. I mean, you already realize she's crazy, but man, that one really just is such a creepy scene, wouldn't you say, Don? Yeah, um, that is kind of when he realizes there's something very wrong with her. Mm-hmm. Um, when when they're discussing the the uh, <clears throat> chapter plays. Yes. Um. Well, no, actually, he realizes it before that. It was God. All I remember, I don't remember the exact scene. Um, but they're discussing that, and she's spilling tomato soup all over him and yelling at him, and yeah, that was when he really realized that something was wrong <laughs> with her. Her, but. but the the scene you're talking about happens when when it's, he starts writing when he starts writing misery's return yes and he writes yeah. the first chapter and she just hates it yeah because she, he cheated her he yeah. cheated her misery was in the ground you have to start from there don't cheat and and yet the funny thing is she's cheating all along <laughs> she, she doesn't even realize it yeah, she is, and and it, what I like about that scene is the fact that it, it, I think it's one of the first times. I mean, he realizes he's trapped with this crazy woman, but he's kind of had hope that he could maybe get himself out of it. But I think it was that scene there where his character feels like he's realizing, you know what, I may just die here. <laughs> I mean, the way she approaches that uh, scene, but I, I think that scene's just such well delivered by her. And and probably one of the reasons why, uh, you know, she got the award. Or how about the scene when it rains, Glenn, and she comes in? Are you? Does that scene just not creep you out? Everything about about her character creeps me out. <laughs> but I mean, that scene is just so eerie. Of uh, she pulls the gun out, Paul, and she says, uh, you know. Maybe one day I might put bullets in it. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's scary because you it, and and that's that's the that's the beauty of of the Annie character, is that you you discover more and more about her as 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 the story goes along, and it just adds to her craziness, you know, and and just that was that was good, that was well paced, and and that's important for a story like this, and and more importantly, it's not one of those like things that. Oh yeah, I'm startled for that instance. It, you actually think about the character as you're going home. You're thinking, "Wow, is my next door neighbor like this person?" <laughs> I'm glad I'm not a popular writer because <laughs> my next door neighbor gonna going to uh, kidnap me and sledgehammer my ankles. <laughs> oh God, yes. Has, has anyone has anyone seen that. Pat lately? Oh God. If someone's gonna have crazy fans. Oh dear, no kidding, right? Um, yeah, what really struck me about that scene was how it was how it was filmed. Mm-hmm. You could really see how beautiful Kathy Bates actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it was the camera angle, the lighting, whatever, but she didn't look crazy. She looked sad, melancholy, and absolutely beautiful. And yeah. and it was so weird to have her talking about killing and, and, and <laughs> putting bullets in a gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a really... I mean, it's a well-directed film, for sure. I mean, they picked the right with Rob Reiner. 
Uh, I think it's one of his his best directed films, but he has so many because he's a very talented meathead. Uh, <laughs> 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 that uh, yeah, I, I, Misery. I think we all agree is really a classic and uh, if very well put together. And in all honesty, not. This is a classic example of how you can have a extraordinarily creepy, scary horror film without gore. Mm. We we don't get gore in this film, do we? I mean, we get sound effects and sound design and a little bit of visual of the ankle bending and such, but <laughs> uh, which see and everybody, you know, I've watched I've watched many a disturbing film and watched the hostels and the saw, and I will tell you <laughs> that the sledgehammer when she pulls. When she pulls that two by four out and puts it between his legs, between his ankles, and then it's holding the sledgehammer, every time I see that movie, oh my god, I'm like well, that scene when she just like, God, I love you. <laughs> but and that those are th- those are things that you can go out to the hardware store and get. You get you go to like Saw and you get this complicated apparatus. What are the odds of you finding something like that if you're not going to be able to have the engineering degree to build it? You know, something like this. It's a simple, simple wood and a sledgehammer. Ouch. Oh. Well, I think Kathy sells it too because of the way she swings that sledgehammer. I mean, we're not talking about a little swing, are we, Dawn? I mean, she full-on batter-ups this thing. (laughs) Yep. She has the heft behind her to pull it off. Yeah, and, and it's it's a gruesome scene, and I've watched many a grotesque film, and let me tell you, that scene is one that makes me squirm in my seat and go, ow! <laughs> you know? and, and again, yeah, I think it's because what you said, Paul, is it's household items, it's simple things, it's things you see. Yeah. It makes sense, and that's what I like. Some horror films... You get these crazy people in that, and they do things, and it doesn't quite make sense. I mean, sure, it looks kind of cool or a creative kill, but it doesn't make sense. And everything she does in here to him <laughs> makes sense within the context of her character, wouldn't you say? Yep. So, yeah, I think that's – and the fact she was a nurse takes a lot out of the plot development, too. <laughs> There's another scene in there, though, too, that, that really affected me because it was like, okay, he's got this plan, he's going to poison her, and then it fails. And oh. I'm like, oh, my God, no, it didn't fail. Oh, you know, and you're thinking, oh, no, what now what is he going to do? And, and oh, 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 the cop, the cop. Ah. ah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so it just kept, it, you know, you just, oh. Well, the wine glass scene was such a simple scene, but yeah, you're on the edge of your seat. You're like, take a drink, take a drink. Oh, did she just spill it on <laughs> uh, So many moments in this movie, folks. See it. Put it on your list to see you horror fans out there. Not just Halloween, but anytime. It is a not an overhyped film by any means. Great performances, great direction. A very and- solid film. And when you look at the number of people they tried to get before they settled on James Caan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, they offered it to William Hurt, Kevin Klein, Michael Douglas Harrison Ford, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Richard Driver, Gene Hagman, Robert Redford, and Warren Bates. Jesus. All of them said no. And actually, I'm glad they didn't because James Caan, while he was known, he's... <laughs> 
it sounds bad. He was known but not known. Does that make sense in the fact that he was a known face but n- not necessarily as recognized as those other names that Glenn yeah. mentioned? And I mean, yes. God, could you imagine? I mean, some of those other people. I mean, Dustin Hoffman or Kevin Kline. Oh, is yeah. this a comedy? <laughs> <laughs> or De Niro or Pacino? I mean, they don't. I mean, none of those other people I think could have done it. Maybe Redford, but it would be weird seeing him in this type of role. You were going to say something, Doug? Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking. I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm because the argument for Pacino, the argument against Pacino, could also be made against Khan because mm-hmm. they were both they were both in the Godfather movie together. They were both the Italian mobster people. Mm-hmm. Um, but that actually helped. James Kahn sell it more because he was the kid from the streets that grew up. He wrote the fast, the, the I'm sorry, the untitled yeah. story about the gutter kids because he grew up in the gutter. He sold that mm. uh, as a, as part of his character um, as, as opposed to he was trying to get away from the misery character, which he didn't really relate it to and he resented her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so it's it's just one of those weird things where, yeah, maybe I don't know. But he did a phenomenal yeah. job, and I'm I'm I don't want to take <laughs> anything away from him because I wouldn't want anybody else in his role. Yeah, and I I think it also helped that he wanted the role versus the other guys because if they just got the role and they and they proved that they didn't really want it because they turned it down. I think it would, you know, just the, the him actually going, saying, I want to do this role actually gave that, that ad, added boost in his performance. Well, yeah. it, it, it did, definitely. And it, it's just James Caan's presence on screen versus those other folks in the list, your Pacino, your big one. I mean, I it's one of the reasons why I love Alienation so much. Mm. You know, he he's a very good actor, but he doesn't have that overwhelming, I guess, such a strong personality, you know, as a person maybe, or in the roles that oh, he's yeah. taken. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, I think his personality and the way he's portrayed other characters and just his body of work and the way he handles his characters fit this author so perfectly versus, say, a Pacino. Because that'd be almost too strong of a personality, no matter how hard he tries to downplay it. But <laughs> let's face it, it's it's Pacino. You know what I mean? It's it's Pacino. It's you know, and Warren Betty wouldn't act at all. So um, you're gonna read my book. <laughs> <laughs> Warren Betty would be like, "Where's Madonna? Wrong set, Betty. You were already on Dick Tracy. We're now on Misery." <laughs> <laughs> Which was another 1990 uh, Dick Tracy. Um, it's because of Dick Tracy that he didn't take this role. <laughs> was it? Was it because of Dick Tracy that he didn't take this? Supposedly role? that 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 filming went too long, so he couldn't he couldn't uh, he couldn't make this film. Oh darn! <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Me too. So I think we're gonna wrap up this episode tonight. Uh, two interesting. Films that are on the opposite ends of most people's opinions of what's good and bad. Both Stephen King, both horror films, and both came out in 1990 and celebrating 25th anniversary. So uh, definitely catch Misery, catch uh, Graveyard Shift if you have some alcohol or if you just like Brad Dourif. 
Uh, <laughs> that's about most we can say with those two films this evening. So we're going to go right down the line real quick. Have you pimp your stuff. Dawn, please, uh, where can we find you? You can find me at intheaudience.net. Fantastic. And uh, Glenn, go ahead, sir. Pimp my stuff? Okay, it's uh, 20 for a hand job, 30 for... Oh, wait, no. um, <laughs> oh. You can oh, find me on the YouTube uh, B Movie Bunker and Naked Hobo Productions. Uh, same thing on Facebook, or just follow me on Twitter at Naked Hobo. Fantastic. And Paul? You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and WordPress at Forsaken Film Reviews. Awesome, and you can find all their links as well as my work and uh, the archive of the Spoiler Room episodes on SpecialMarkProductions.com, or you can find episodes of the Spoiler Room on iTunes and Stitcher Smart Radio. Please check it out there. Uh, And also, folks, uh, keep uh, an ear to the ground for more Spoiler Room episodes. Uh, We're planning a couple of things, at least I'm planning a couple of things, for November, including our next 25th anniversary episode, which is going to be just the sequels of 1990, because... (laughs) Folks, back then, sequels, suddenly it seemed like they were growing them like corn. And we're going to discuss a sequel or two of what we liked or didn't like of the body of sequels that came out in 1990. So stay tuned for that. Uh, And also check out the Special Mark Productions. Check out the links of everyone else here. Hope you've enjoyed the special Halloween-themed 25th anniversary special. Leave feedback at... Uh, the Spoiler Room PDCS for the Twitter and SpoilerRoom.SMP at gmail.com to give us feedback. Love to hear your thoughts, any ideas for the show. Please let us know. We love to hear from you. So thank you so much as always. And remember in the Spoiler Room, the conversation is fresh, uh, but we do spoil uh, the movies, you dirty birds, you. 